Hello and welcome to Parking Thought, the show where we highlight the good in the world from the extraordinary to the everyday. You're going to want to like and subscribe wherever you happen to find us. Curiosity, meet gratitude. My name is Jacob and I'm glad you're here today. In this edition, we're going to be talking about dictionaries. Yes, dictionaries. This subject has come up at least casually once before on this podcast. And so we'd like to add another layer of information for those of you that might have missed the previous conversations or previous anecdotes. I am a fan of dictionaries. I have a good copy of Webster's Third sitting outside and that book itself is probably about eight inches thick. I love it. It was my separation gift from the military, and it's a rather um, wonderful book to have. Now, the dictionary has a few different roles in our society, and because of marketing campaigns, the dictionary has actually been asked to be a few different things that maybe it's not so good for. For example, the dictionary only records the use of language at the time. It takes artifacts and of and instances of a language and puts them together in a way that it'll help other people understand. But marketing campaigns for dictionaries about 100 years ago decided to let them be marketed as the source of truth and the authoritarian view on the English language. Again, great marketing strategy, poor, poor, poor consequences, right? So it worked pretty well. The dictionary is not the end-all be-all for how a word is used or meant to be used or is meant in a particular sentence. It's a good guide. It's better than nothing. I enjoy it because it's a good guide and better than nothing, but it is not perfect. Webster's Third is a tremendous event of human accomplishment, but it is not a perfect dictionary. Now, I don't know if there ever will be a perfect dictionary. We all use language so differently, and that's okay. We generally get along. We generally mean the same things, but I love hearing a word or a phrase or something else that allows me to think about the language we're using, whether or not we've used it properly. At work, I train people on how to identify opportunities for conflict where they might disagree. And some of those opportunities for conflict come because we use words differently or we have a different understanding of the same thing. And I describe these as the cow beef situation. So back in the day when the Normans from France conquered England, in the Battle of Hastings at 1066, they brought with them the French language. And the French language was used as the official language of England for quite a long time. What was interesting about bringing the French language into England and making it the official language for all government business is that you had different words for food right? And those words and that heritage of those words has carried down with us today in English. So in English, when we talk about eating the meat from a cow, right? We don't talk about it as cow meat. We talk about it as beef. Beef being the word of French origin and cow being the word of Old English and Germanic origin. The same thing happens with chicken. We don't Although today our lazy English, again, we kind of use the word chicken to refer to the meat and to the bird. Typically we refer to, in professional circles, when we refer to the meat from a chicken, we refer to it as poultry. Again, poultry is the French origin. So when you have a cow beef situation, it's a situation where you're talking about the same thing, but you're using different language to do that. And sometimes if we know that we're going to walk into a situation where we can see that or it's likely to happen, it makes it easier when we get there to move quickly through the conflict that occurs. And so that's why I like to describe things as cow beef situations when I train people on how to get through conflict, especially when there's different languages involved. 
Now, there is no perfect dictionary, right? Language will continue to evolve. I don't think we're going to have any foreign country invade English, you know, to the, the sense where there's a dramatic, you know, overtaking of the language. But I do think we're going to adopt new words from new cultures. The word hammock, right, actually comes and is one of the very first words that has come to English from the Native American cultures after Christopher Columbus. One of the first things Columbus did on his way home was bring hammock technology into the ships, and that later translated over into the English ships, and then spread around the world. And so when the hammock physical device entered the English shipyards, so did the word enter our language. And so for me, <clears throat> I want a dictionary that is organized properly. And what do I mean by organized properly? Well, there's a couple of different ways of organizing a dictionary. The dictionaries that we have, Webster's Third and others, are organized in alphabetical order. And that works well. Alphabetical order is a system of organizing things. And it's very well known and reasonably, you know, easy to use. <clears throat> A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Yes, I said Z because I married a Canadian. Woohoo! All right. So the alphabet is generally understood, but it doesn't mean it's a very logical system. It happens to be the order that the characters are written out um, for our language in Phoenician, then adopted by the Greeks, then adopted by the Romans, and then passed down through our various linguistic heritage. So as a system, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. There are two other ways of organizing a dictionary that I generally prefer, and one of them I will tell you about, and we can go on a search together to find the one book that did it, and the other one is a book that you can easily buy on Amazon. So let's get to the first. The first dictionary that I would like to get that I think is logically organized would actually be a dictionary organized by the date or approximate date that the word entered the English language. Yes, so it would be a chronological dictionary. I did find that one of these dictionaries has been published. There was not a very large run of it being published, and that the only copy that I know of in existence is in Australia right now in what is the equivalent of their Library of Congress. I do not plan on making a trip to Australia just so I can thumb through that dictionary, but I'm really curious and would love to see it. Wouldn't it be cool to see all of the words that entered the English language in 1725, and then again in 1740? and then again in 1800, and then again in 1845. And as literacy has gone up, be able to see the massive amount of new words as they entered in. We don't have a good system for doing this. And let's be honest, our ability to exactly determine when a word was popular enough in the printed, you know, in printed form to be able to be a part of the English language is not a perfect science. But while it's not a perfect science, it would still be a fun way to explore the English language organized by the date that things arrived. And I would love to be able to do that at some point. And maybe down the line, I'll make that a project and get that done. There's another way to organize a group of words. And this one is a little fun. And this comes from Mark Forsyth. So Mark Forsyth, and I think we've talked about this before, organized a dictionary or organized a book. We did talk about this before. I'm pretty sure we talked about the Horologicon. But Eh, let's pretend we didn't. <clears throat> so Mark Forsyth organized a book called the Horologicon. So it's a book of words organized by the time of day that you're most likely to use them. And these aren't just normal everyday words. They might have been at one point in some place, but they were words that have generally been lost from the English language and then brought back in. And there's a few of them that are my favorite. One of them is the word fudgel, F-U-D-G-E-L, and it means to 
pretend like you're looking busy, usually by holding a clipboard or paperwork right while you're supposed to be working. And so at work, a lot of times I have to go from one meeting to the next and network with one person or next as part of my job as a project manager. And so one of the things I like to do is I tell people that I'm fudgling. And they kind of look at me and laugh and wonder what that is. And then by the time they look it up, they they start to think, well, Jacob really gets stuff done. But, you know, it's I use it intentionally in its opposite form. The same way that you can use regardless and irregardless, you know, as meaning the same thing. Um, some words do get to be used as their opposites. And I like to use the word fudgling as its opposite. But fudgling's in there. Gongoozle is in there as well. Gongoozle means to stare at the activity in a canal. Right? So Mark Forsyth in this book organized Gongoozle and Fudgle based upon the time of day that you're most likely to use them. And what's amazing is that organizing a book in that form actually makes the words a part of a story. And it makes it easier to remember the words and how you feel about them and how you could possibly use them. So hats off to Mark Forsyth and his book The Horologicon. Horologicon actually means a group of words organized by the time of day in which you're likely to use them. So it's not necessarily a new term in the sense that all the parts existed, but it is a new term in the sense that you're probably not used to using it. And the same thing happens, right, with other words. Yeah, I think it was yesterday I used the word quintennial, right? It means 400 years. So quintennial, uh, we are about to celebrate in 2020 the quintennial year of the Mayflower landing on Plymouth Rock, or the Mayflower voyage. And won't that be cool, right? So the Mayflower in 2020 is 400 years old. So we're celebrating its quintennial year. And maybe quintennial is not a very popular word. Maybe I just invented it. But I did invent it using the pieces that were already available, right? Quint meaning four and tennial meaning, you know, hundred. So hopefully I've done that right. And we'll have to see. This is how language evolves. And maybe if the word becomes popular enough, we'll start to see it in print enough. And we'll start to see it end up in a dictionary. And then when it goes back to who invented it, Maybe I'll get the credit, or maybe it's already out there and I haven't done the research. But we'll let the good folks over at the uh, that make our dictionaries be able to decide that. I love dictionaries. This will not be the last time that we talk about this subject. Now, one of the other subjects we do like to talk about is what you're curious about and how that curiosity has led you into a path that has improved your life. And so if you'd like to be our curiosity spotlight, feel free to write to us at Parking Thought on Twitter one word, or you can reach out to us by using the hashtag Curiosity Spotlight on Twitter. We would love to highlight the different roads where curiosity has led you. And yeah, I make this pitch every episode, and yes, I am talking to you. Please, when you finish driving, right, take the time to write into us and let us know what you've been curious about and how that has impacted your life. As we share that with others, it helps us appreciate and understand how awesome and amazing the world is and the people in it and you are part of that story. Well, let's wrap up this episode. This is the part where I tell you that the best way to say thank you for this episode is to share it with someone you know. I'll let you decide who that is, and I'll bet you know someone who'd love to be a part of this conversation. If you're just joining us for this episode, then we're glad you can make it. If you want to stick around for the long haul, then remember this podcast can be delivered directly to your favorite device by using the subscribe links you can find in the show notes below or over at parkingthought.com. We're also on the YouTube, the Podbean, the Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast and lbry.tv. And if there's another platform that you'd like us to be a part of, please let me know and we can get the podcast registered there too. Remember, as we say at the end of every episode, we ask you to remember that in a world where you can choose to be anything, why not choose to be grateful? Be grateful.